Hello and welcome to our very first special features extra episode. Sure, let's go with that. Our very first special features extra episode of Movie Deja Vu. It's Hey everyone, Shady here. Unfortunately, it's true, I really did lose my voice right before we recorded The King and I versus The Sound of Music. Fortunately for us, Nick was an amazing guest host. He was awesome. We would love to have him come back on. In fact, he was so good that he gave us too much good information, and we had to cut some of it out, which was a real bummer. But John and I were talking about it, and we decided it's our podcast. We can make up whatever rules we want. And so this week, we are releasing an extra special mini episode in order to get those special features back out there. We hope you enjoy. Because of all the beautiful and new things I'm learning about you. So another point is uh, we're talking again specifically about these movies because the the music is different from the shows than the movies a little bit in both cases. Um, for the King and I, they cut out a bunch of songs from the from the production, not a bunch, but quite a few, and a bunch of reprises are gone. Like for example, the song that the King sings early on in the show uh, actually gets a reprisal from his, uh, in, uh, your argument of the, the love triangle, the prime minister there. A he has a reprise of that number. Yeah. Puzzlement. Um, a puzzlement has a reprise in the, in the, in the show that we don't see in the movie. Um, whereas in the sound of music, there were only three songs that were cut, but two songs were added, um, for the film. And both of those songs were only written by Richard Rogers because, uh, Hammerstein is dead. Um, so he wrote um, Confidence, because Confidence is not in the original production, in the original score. Oh. Um, and then it was also Something Good, the, the you know, the love duet. Um, so that was, That's both of those of were show? put into the movie. That's not in the original production. However, I, I don't know if it's legal or not, but a lot of productions add those. I think there's probably ways to, because you can... Nowadays, you can do like uh, this version of the score, that version of the score. I mean, anything goes. Right. There's approximately 376 versions that you can do. Um, so um, I'm, I'm kidding. There's what three? There's like <laughs> four, there's three versions of anything goes. I don't know. Um, different editions. Um, so you know, a lot of the times people put in confidence into the stage perfection because it's sort of iconic. Like a lot of people think of Sunday music, and they do remember her running down the street. You know flinging I that guitar around um, <laughs> yeah yeah um did they so replace, that was another thing that did those songs replace um, other songs um the something good replaced some i believe it replaced another love duet but the confidence number there's just nothing there in in the in the Broadway production just it's shows just like an, an added number well i mean there's the scene like it, you start off with you know uh, Maria, you know, how do you solve a problem? So it sort of follows the same thing. It's just she, you know, goes there. Um, I don't remember the stage production well enough in my head to remember if there is a, uh, like a scene there, but um, they wrote that song for the movie. Um, 
Yeah. And that's one of the, that's one of the things that makes comparing the music between these shows a little bit difficult because it's like, you could also put up against the same two shows and make the same almost statements with like Cinderella, you know, because there's Mm. the waltz there, you know, so that's why I say it's like almost unfair to put these shows together musically speaking without, you know, acknowledging that context. Um, But there are those striking similarities. Um, And, you know, for example, opening both shows in F. Well, in terms of keys, uh, Sound of Music is a lot more varied um, from, from what, but again, we're talking about the fact that Sound of Music has more music in it than The King and I, because they did cut out some other stuff and I didn't look at the, the original Broadway show. And that may be that it was simplified for keys for the film. It also may be that some of the songs that we got, usually a reprise is in a different key. Um, not all the time, but frequently. So you end up with, if you want to look at, this isn't in the film, but Puzzlement, like I talked about, you've got the King's, you've got the King's iteration of it. And then you have the, you know, the reiteration later on by other cast members. And presumably that's in a different key. And you also have the same thing kind of going on in Sound of Music. You know, 16 going on, 17 comes back for different, you know, for different things. And um, favorite things come back for different things. Do um, Me comes back, especially, do, yeah. well, especially like their yeah. ending performance. Do Re Mi definitely... never leaves you. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. And I mean, can we talk about the, the ending? I mean, I, you know, I love Sound of Music <laughs> dearly, but like, every time they do that live performance, I just get to the end and it's like, okay, we get the jam thing. Like jam and bread, like, can we get a little bit more Jam and bread, jam and bread, jam and bread, jam and bread. Jam and bread, jam, 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 jam. Maybe I'm being harsh. Maybe this is me being cynical. But I just, you know, I was like, well, we have a little bit of the lyric. Another question that Future Shady could potentially cut out if we don't know the answer to this. So what was the song? that he joins in with them. It, uh, oh. Um, Not Edelweiss. Sound of Music? When they, sound yeah, of Music. That was written for the movie, or is that an actual No, song? that is, that, that's, part of, that's part of the show. Um, let me, let me I mean the show, double yes. check to see where it pops up. Yeah, um, the, original, the original Broadway production. And well, I no, because like, production, but I should be saying the original show. In the um, in the movie, at least, that's what there's. That's what the kids are singing to the Baroness, and he joins, yeah. and the captain joins in, and it makes it sound seem yeah. like at least I wasn't sure if it was just in this world of the movie slash show, or if it's in the real world. It's a real song that they adapted oh oh so they, i see what you mean i thought you meant is it in the the broadway production because incidentally it is in the broadway production used in the same way um but i i i i, I believe all of these and let me just double check really quickly um yeah they are all of them original written, songs all of them original songs which also special feature um fun fact um, there was a lot of pushback about this film, sort of unsurprisingly, in certain parts of Europe. And um, Austrians were actually really sort of angry at the movie um, for two chief reasons. Um, one, they were really mad about uh, the costumes because the costumes were not appropriate, apparently. Um, they were uh, not period. They were not done quite right. Whether or not that's true, I, I read that. 
Um, the other thing that I read, which I also believe to be true, is that they took issue with the fact that there weren't real Austrian folk songs in the sh- in the show. That it was all like new stuff. Like Edelweiss um, is not a real song. They just wrote it for no. It, Right. And it's it's funny because Edelweiss a lot of people think is, you know, is actually a real um you know, a real song from that. But it was just so popular that it kind of became an unofficial anthem. Um huh. I did so, zero research. I did re- zero okay. research on these movies because I was like, Nick's gonna talk. Ah, one less thing for me to well, look Well, I on. did less I did less research on the King and I, um, but I also have picked up weird things about Sound of Music over the years. So Rogers and Hammerstein writing mm-hmm. the small, the little house of uncle Thomas. Did they actually research music of the, of Siam slash um, Thailand or did this say, this is a, up? this is a little on me that I didn't do that. Um, I didn't have the time to do that research to really compare, but it's, it's um, let's vet this after I say it. And if it's right, let's keep it. <laughs> um, <laughs> It's relatively faithful. It's definitely, I would say, like, it's still traditional music written through a Western lens, but it's not as sort of obviously offensive as um, as the scene in The Music Man where the, the townspeople do a Native American song. Like, it's not like that. Um, and also, from what I know of traditional Thai dance, which is small, but small a little bit there's a lot of accurate sort of traditional elements in there um in terms of the presentation in terms of the costumes there's a lot of um like traditional movements with fingers that tell different um story elements that you know we might see and kind of pick up as choreography but it's actually part of the storytelling aside from the just like difficult subject matter and the fact that like 2020 brain and all that Right. Well, I mean, it, it's that. And there, there are a lot of Asian actors in the movie, obviously. But when you look at that scene, it's the same thing that they do with most of the rest of the movie, where they have all of the Asian actors playing the ensemble people doing all of the tricky stuff. And even, I think, even in that dance, it looks like sort of the lead dancers, maybe white people with, because um, everybody has the same makeup. So it's kind of oh, hard yeah, to tell. Yeah. Um, because they've all like it's so that's why I think that's the case, but I don't know for sure. And then and then um, you have Rita Moreno playing. You have Rita Moreno. Right. And, Rita, Rita Moreno, who's being dubbed as well for her singing, because and um, oh, that's another thing. Oh yeah, they, there's dubbing in that movie. Dub well in King and I, it's almost everybody's dubbed. Yul Brenner is not dubbed for Deborah Kerr. Marnie Dixon does all the dubbing. Uh, Rita Moreno's dubbed. I forget by who. But um, her love interest is also dubbed. So it's a, it's a lot of dubbing, and that is not the case in The Sound of Music. They um, wanted actors who could do it all. <laughs> right. Well, and I mean, don't, don't get me wrong here. I'm pretty sure for all of the scenes, they like dubbed their own, you know, but it's them singing because, you know. Well, they, yeah. Studio they did, sound was... <laughs> they they right. dubbed their own voices. It was not like... Right. Marnie Nixon. Yeah. yeah. Um, but also, fun, fun fact um, about dubbing, The Sound of Music was the first American movie to be fully dubbed both dialogue and music in, a, in foreign languages. And it was dubbed in, I think, really? it was fully dubbed in, was it German, French, maybe Italian, I think Spanish, 
they did a Japanese version where the dialogue was Japanese, but the music was English and then a slew of subtitles. But it was the first, according to what I saw in one place, which, um, you know, I'm, I'm not a film historian, but I, I believe that's credible, um, that it was the first one to dub everything in foreign, you know, like, it's, and I'm talking like songs, lyrics, everything was, you know, dubbed in another language. Um, Listen, a lot of our fun facts come from IMDb, so obviously we take things with a grain of salt. So grain of salt. Say, if you say it's true and you can cite a source, then yes. <laughs> it is true. Okay, so this is the part of the podcast where Nick sort of became a one-man tourism board for the entire state of Vermont. I really enjoyed this part, so I wanted to include it. I'm going to propose so, this now. Shady, Nick, post-pandemic trip. status, we're going, right? Great. Yeah. It's got a vacation plan. Because planned. also, <laughs> well, when you get off the highway, there's the Ben and Jerry's factory is the first thing you see before you get, you have to drive past. So I'm. this is a little thing for Vermont tourism. Um, once the pandemic is over, you get off the exit, which if I recall is exit 10 on I-89 and you get off the highway like down. and like you drive down. past some things. The <laughs> first thing you see is Ben and Jerry's. A little bit down the ways you have a cute little um, like cider mill. We can do apple cider and cider donuts. And then you also pass a Cabot cheese outlet um, all in one place. It's a cabbage cheese outlet, a Champlain chocolates, some outerwear or something. And then, um, which, you know, if you're listening, sorry, I can't, uh, you know, plug your business. And then a little distillery has a little thing there. It's, um, where they do like, uh, different gins and vodkas and different things and different, uh, whiskeys. And then you keep driving and you drive through, I'm not kidding, Moscow. Um, and then you go up to, um, you go up this, you know, this, you know, giant mountain and you're up there. So it's quite a day of delicious foods. Do we not pass the Vermont Teddy Bear Company? That way you could, but no, it's not really on the way. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh my God. Yeah. So, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Once again, we thank you for listening in. We thank you for all of the support that you've been giving us. We hope to have you back in a couple of days when we release Troop Beverly Hills versus Clueless versus Legally Blonde. It's our first episode ever where we discuss more than two movies and it was, we had fun. Let's just say that. Yeah, we had fun. Anyway, take care of yourselves. So long, farewell, I'll leave us saying goodbye. I leave and heave a sigh and say goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you.